0: Hey there, Ghosties. Welcome to Episode 72 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Today's guest, Len Mateo, the Artistic Director of Miners Alley Playhouse. We talked to him about how his love of theater developed, where that took him from New York to Taos, all the way back to Evergreen and Golden, as we now know and love him from. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this journey. Dan, Gimme War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Ghosties, it's episode 72 of the Ghost Ghostlights podcast, and it is your boy Sam Gilstrap. I'm not the goat, but I do fit the description, and that's greatest of all time. I hope you're with me today. We have a great special guest that it honestly, folks, it's been a long time coming. He's uh, he's meant the world to me a lot in my latter years of my career. The man is Len Mateo. Len Mateo, how the hell are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good, man, and yeah. honestly, the honor is totally mine, man. <laughs> um, I am. I am just so you've really made something of this podcast. It's it's um, it's really amazing what you've done. Thank you. You know, I remember when you first started, I, I listened to a couple of them. I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be just brutally honest. I listened to a couple. I went, oh, that's cute. You know, Sam's having conversations with his tape player. You know what I yep. mean? And, yep. and then I started listening to these. I'm like, Dude, my man has a podcast. Yeah. Like, you are a badass, Sam
0: Gilstrap. Well, thank so you very much.
1: Congratulations for making something. I think that the well, obviously, that our theater community loves and that we need, especially, you know, when 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 there's so little theater going on. But wow. thank you for just being a being a, a guy who never gives up and keeps going for it keeps getting better cuz it's it's fucking awesome man.
0: Well, Great, thank podcast. you Len. I really appreciate it. That means a lot to me. I I'll, yeah. I'll definitely be uh I'll be the first to say that I think the the explosion if you will of what this podcast has become is is thanks in large part to my producer Dan Rib. Everyone on the God mic say hi to Dan Rib. He's out there. Dan he's Rib's listening. a legend man. Yeah, I, he's
1: I'm just like I'm just like looking at him going, "Is that Dan Rib?"
0: Yeah, it is he's probably sipping whiskey and stretching on a yoga mat you know just just keeping it real real loose real limber he's available shout, shout out to a new terrain brewing company atlantis hazy day ipa Ooh. yeah i got some Our, of that in my
1: fridge the unofficial uh, sponsor <laughs> yeah they are um they are right down the road for me in golden oh, man.
0: i love that beer hail atlantis
1: yeah they mm. um have you been to the
0: brewery Oh, many a time, many a time. It is time.
1: just a vibe, man. It's right next to the dog park. Yeah. And if you don't like dogs, don't go. But yeah. I mean, it's, but there's just dogs yeah. everywhere. And during the winter, when they, you can only have like five people gathering, we would just sit outside with heaters on, yeah. drinking beer and chilling and, you know, making the most of a shitty situation. You know, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, I
0: love that space. I love am that I allowed to curse space. on your podcast? Um, Fucking yeah, you are. Yeah, you're allowed to cuss all you want. Yeah, well, I mean, if it get, if it gets really blue, well, when I do my intro later, I'll, I'll cut it. And like, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is rated blue. Keep the kids for, away.
1: So you don't want to be blue by missing this. No.
0: And if you do listen to this at work, make sure those headphones are on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Especially around minute 30, where we just start saying the F word over and over again for no reason. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah so easy <laughs> yeah well but we, yeah we could totally cuss it's gonna be fine i really wanted I'm, I'm glad i got you on because i mean the nfl draft just ended and you're like the first guest i could talk to yeah. about what the broncos did how do you feel about the broncos draft
1: i don't I, you know i know you think i'm a big sports fan but honestly i'm a fake sports fan
0: hey man but i, I will, just know that you put it on that's all
1: oh i do and i love it i know i before i get into the draft let me get it i'll just get into the basic history of me in sports
0: let's do it. total
1: doofus didn't play sports i joined the football team in high school for one year so i could get the jacket so mm-hmm. that i could get laid you know what i mean and get yeah. you know get a varsity football jacket mm-hmm. um i was i was a i was a uh, defensive tackle and honestly I, I just 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 stand there and block i mean that's all i did you know what i mean yeah <laughs> that's all i did um and um And when I moved to Colorado, I was offered season tickets to the Broncos. Uh, They're not the, I have tickets and they're not mine. Someone else owns them. Mm. And every year he just gives them to me. And because we're not blood family, he can't literally give them to me. So Uh. I just buy them from him at cost, by the way, um, which is nice. And that was in 2005. And then I totally... And I thought, ah, it's a business thing. You know what I mean? I'll take some, mm-hmm. some business people to football games and I'll have a good time. It'll be fun. Drink some beers. I totally got into it. I was just like, I was like, no one's good. I'm not, I'm going to every game. I would like leave the, the stadium horse. And I just, I'd never really been into sports like that before. And I just mm-hmm. became a fan. I, I still have a, I remember the first jersey I bought was a Cutler jersey. Oh and no! I was so upset the next year I was so fucking angry and I put and I have it I should show it to you at some point I'll go get it I still yeah. have it it has it has duct tape over his name and the duct tape over his number and I would wear it to the stadium in anger you know when we'd be tailgating you know you know mm-hmm. and it was, you know and it was cuck fuckler you know I mean all that stuff going around and it was um, um oh but anyway, in answer to your question, I think we did good in the draft. I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, what's the word? Uh, I think it's a very confident stance in our quarterbacks
0: uh-huh. um,
1: because everybody, you know, everyone's saying, you know, we need to get a QB. We, 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 we have a great team, but we're missing the key ingredient. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like bread without flour, flourless right. chocolate cake. Ah, it's good a little bit, but you know, we yeah, need some yeah. cake, you know? So it's, um, and, um, and it feels like, you know, uh, with Bridgewater, you know, and Locke, you know, competing against each other and this whole Aaron Rodgers, you know, thing going on. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm, I'm excited for the season. I, I can't really speak too much detail about the draft, but I can tell you I'm excited about the season.
0: You Are know? you going to go to any games?
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I didn't go any to any last year only because it just – sounded depressing and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know and I don't know I just I was just not into it I kind of my head was somewhere else last year you know I mean we could talk about that for a long time but I wasn't really following football and then when we started just sucking so badly I was just like uh, you know Mm -hmm. I I got to do other things but I plan on going going I, I plan on I can't wait to get in the stadium you know and see those uh skydivers come in and you know, and you know, and here's some here's some ZZ Top, and the cheerleaders run on, and you there know, you and, and you know, and just uh, just you know, just just yell and scream, and uh,
0: we should go. I'm down. I'm down. We should. I'm go. vaccinated. Let's make it happen. I, I am too, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll make. We'll, I'm we'll vaccinated,
1: do... and I had COVID.
0: Yeah, and you bounce back. COVID can bite me. Yeah. I am so I
1: am so over that damn thing. I am telling you.
0: Yeah. I, I I would I think that's the sentiment shared pretty worldwide. No, dude, You're absolutely hear, right.
1: So in October I got COVID, uh-huh. and then I it was when it was a mild case, but it was scary because I could really feel it in my lungs, and you know that's kind of scary when you can't breathe and you have trouble breathing. Yeah. But I never had to be hospitalized, and then just when I think I'm getting better, my lungs start hurting again. Mm. I'm negative for COVID and I have pneumonia. Oh God. Then I and now I'm kind of long hauling on the lungs. I'm exercising all the time Good. just to strengthen my lungs. Then I get the COVID vaccine and it makes me feel like I have COVID again. Oh. And, and, but only for 12 hours, but still it sucked. Mm. And, and honestly, if a doctor said to me, now you have to get another booster next month, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Too soon. Too yeah. soon. Too no soon. more COVID. <laughs> I am done with COVID for a while, man.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. I'm glad. I'm glad you bounced back, and you're, you're you. looking good. You're sounding good. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's not just the Zoom lighting. You are. You are glowing, Len. Mm. Mm.
1: As are you, my friend. Well, as
0: that's, are you. You look so fucking chill. I mean, it's these basement lights, man. There's, I got my dog right next to me. Oh yeah, I, I saw. I saw the love affair going on Facebook with that dog. That's a. Oh. That's a nice looking dog. He's he, Mike. Is a cutie. He's a cutie. I got to yeah, keep man. him around. We'll keep him around for sure. Oh, he looks lovely. Yeah. Len. Yes. Theater. Theater. How did it happen to you? Oh, man. So I was, uh,
1: um, my as background, my father was a professional actor. Mm-hmm. And he left acting to, to make a living to pay bills and got into advertising as a writer. You know, he's a copywriter. So, you know, he was always an artist in that way. Mm-hmm. My mom, you know, tried to be an actor, but really wasn't her thing. You know, she went to acting school, but it really wasn't her thing. And that's just a little background to tell you that when I started growing up, I really wasn't interested in it. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a very strange kid. I was not a, uh, I wouldn't call myself a nerd. I wasn't doing what would be the, because I'm 57. So, you know, I wasn't doing the equivalent of Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that. I wasn't your typical theater geek, but I uh, I, um, I was just, um, I was kind of always an outsider, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then, so then I fell in with the kind of like the drug crowd in my early teens, you know, just smoking a lot of pot and, and drinking a lot and um, getting suspended from school and all that stuff. But at the same time, I was playing rock, I was in a rock band.
0: When I was playing music. What's the name of your rock band?
1: Uh, late for Dinner. Um, <laughs> nice. And, um, and, um, and, we, um, and it was great, I, I, but I, I played rock, I played music. You know what I mean? And, um, and I was into that. And then I don't, I, I remember knowing, knowing in my heart and in, my, in, in the bones of my body that I was gonna die if I kept hanging out with these people meaning at, at the age of 16, I was doing, uh, we called it free base, it's basically crack. You know, mm-hmm. I was doing cocaine, I was doing a lot of drugs. And for some reason, I was told to audition for the theater, for the theater in high school. And this is yeah. my junior year. And I audition for the show Sweet Charity. And I get the part of Big Daddy, which mm-hmm. is the preacher guy, and, and then other small parts. Um, and I just took to it, you know, I just, and sucked, but, but what happened was now I was hanging out with a new friend group. Mm. So I had to ride this line between my burnout friends and the theater kids, which are theater kids, you Mm -hmm. know, they're a lot of them are like really geeky. They're none of them are like me. I'm kind of like this other side of the tracks kid who curses, Mm -hmm. you know, and all these kids are, you know, like really good students, like, you know, the theater kids, Mm -hmm. you know, but I was hanging out with them and like, and I'm like, why do they get a lounge? You know? And I was like, what's going on here? You know? And, (laughs) uh, and then the next, and then I did, I did a couple of small parts in Pippin. And then senior year I played the lead in our high school play, which was, I played Harold Hill in the Music Man. Ah. And, um, and clearly, theater was my thing. I mean, I was kind of a star in my little high school, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I was also hanging out with this whole new group of people. So I decided to audition for theater schools. You know, I had no I had no goal. My parents like you should go to college. I'm like, what am I going to study? I guess theater because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, I remember, I remember there was a I in one of my English classes, one of the English teachers. Um, wanted us to do scenes from plays. And I did a scene from the play, Mr. Roberts, where I played um, uh, uh, the captain, I can't can't remember his name, but it was the part that, uh, um, uh, was his name, uh, Humphrey Bogart? No, anyway, uh, but I I did that and it turned me on to theater and that teacher was the one who made me get into drama. So of course it was a teacher, right?
0: Yeah, right, Um, absolutely.
1: And the beauty of this, the whole time, my parents are kind of artsy people. And they 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 don't they're they're very recluse, they have hardly any friends. All they do for fun is go out to dinner at really nice restaurants and go to see shows on Broadway. I lived like 15 miles outside of Manhattan mm-hmm. and they go to see shows on Broadway. So I start going with them to see stuff, to go to theater, not not just Broadway, but all of the great um, theaters, they were subscribers. So Playwrights Horizons, Manhattan Theater Club, Circle in the Square, Circle Rep, um, those were their subscriptions. And so um, I got to see some amazing theater when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, into college and, and all of that. So, so theater kind of saved my life in the sense of it got me away from that crowd that was going to kill me. Mm. You know what that, I mean? It yeah. gave me, and I realized that I was really good at it. And I wanted to be a star. I wanted to. Kevin Klein was one of my role models, you know, as an actor, because oh, yeah. he did everything. I mean, he was a great, he is a great stage actor. He's a great, he's a great musical theater artist. He's a great um, a mm. film actor and, you know, he's a great director. He's just, he's Kevin Klein, you know, he's, yeah. he's kind of legendary. He was legendary for me. Um, but that's kind of how it started. um and uh and then i uh you know i went to college and pursued it there
0: nice did you find the transition between friend groups difficult very what was
1: but i but i knew that i didn't want to it's like it's like if you've ever smoked cigarettes before and then you stop smoking Mm -hmm. the smokers may be your friends but you're not going to smoke You know what I mean? You're Mm -hmm. you might in the beginning a little bit because because you don't want to let them down and you want to be friends. But I I just switch friends group. I kind of I tried to like if I see them in the hallway, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. be like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, you know. But then it would be by and gone, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. So I mean, I lived in a one of the I lived in a neighborhood. I lived in a little town called Ardsley, New York, which is near Dobbs Ferry, Yonkers, that area. And, and in my town, there were there were basically two three, excuse me, three um, uh, cultures of people. There was a Jewish kind of population, mm-hmm. you know, and there was a lower class kind of Catholic uh, Christian population. And uh, and and probably something in the middle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there was also a, a, a housing project, you know, which yeah. had uh, which was mostly black. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with the Christian Catholic kids, mm-hmm. and I ended up hanging out with the other kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was. And and that's been a story in my life, though, dude. I've always crossed different worlds. Like you know, on a part of my life, I worked training some of the best lawyers in the country, Mm -hmm. literally, I mean, some of the best trial lawyers argued before the Supreme court and the other part, I'm hanging out, doing this podcast, Yeah, you know, and I, and I've always been straddling business and art worlds, you know, and all those different worlds, as well as, you know, being best friends with the mailman, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's just been who I am, but it was, it was, it was difficult you picked up on that. Yeah. It was definitely difficult.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it it sounds like for one, those, those friendships that you have in high school and sometimes middle school, if they, if they've lasted that long, I mean, they're, they're hard to quote unquote grow out of on their own. And if they're, if there's a foundation of some type of extracurricular activity or indulgences like that, that's almost seemed to be, the cement that keeps you guys together it must be really difficult to so
1: so and so the result of that I, that that's very well said the mm-hmm. result of that is that I don't have any buddy buddies from high school I occasionally see people meet them through Facebook and we hang out we reminisce you know and they always bring up memories of me and I'm like geez I don't remember any of this stuff you know what I mean yeah but I kind of just burned it you know mm-hmm. and and went on and left town and then I you know I've uh know, yeah, so
0: yeah yeah. So one of the things I'm I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued by is like so we, your your folks are involved in the arts, they transition out of it as they get older around you. There's not a a, a natural not, not, not say natural, but there's not a there's not an urgency in you until high school to become an actor. And then you to use your words, there was a desire to be a star. Oh what, sure. Yeah. What was it that like, yes. That, w- that turned that light on for you.
1: I think we can all relate to this on some level when it's the thing you're good at,
0: mm. when
1: it's the thing everyone tells you you're great at, when people tell you, you should do this, you know what I mean? That you're, you know, when when you've been told you've not been good at anything and then suddenly everyone is clapping and telling you how great you are, that's what it was, you know what mm. I mean? I just, I, 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 I came to the realization really quick when I lived in New York that my goal was to be a working actor. Mm. I, I, I didn't have hopes of Hollywood. I didn't have hopes of movies. I didn't have hopes of it. I really wanted to be a stage actor, but a working actor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to make a living at that and then see where that went. The dream job was to get on a soap because yeah. they were all filmed in New York, was to get on a soap opera and have this great day job and then do theater at night. You yeah. know what I mean? And make a living like, a, and, a, and honestly a good living. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then I mean that was the dream for a lot of actors. This is in the, this is in the late '80s, early '90s. You know what I mean. This yeah. was the dream. You know, we didn't we didn't have cell phones. We had pagers. You know what I mean. We had yeah, we had calling services, phone services. You know.
0: Did you make it onto a soap like this no, week's special I guests on that. General Hospital?
1: Soap, dude, oh my god, I would audition for soaps and. And I would basically, I had, I, was a re, I had a really handsome look for a long time, you know? Still do. Oh, sorry. Um, but you know, I had this, you know, I had like, I had a head of hair, I wasn't fat. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I was just, I wasn't a middle-aged, you know, balding white guy. And, um, and I would go to these soap auditions. I even took soap classes, but I would just read the scripts and I would just be laughing inside at how stupid they were. Because in, in my theater classes, I'm doing Shepard. You know, I'm doing Arthur Miller. And then I would just try to act. I would try to find stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I would, like, try to find stuff in it. And it'd just be like, dude, like, I'd, I'd be doing a soap scene. And I'd just be thinking I'm in a Steppenwolf play. And I'm like this, you know, and I'm bouncing around. And like this, and they'd just be like you're so wrong for this medium. I was so wrong for for television in general. I was just Mm -hmm. so wrong because the theater I grew up loving, and I mean, loving was Steppenwolf, was Circle in the Square, you know, uh, uh, Circle Rep, you know? I mean, some of the most exciting performances I saw as a young man before I was 21, 22, in that whole time period was, you know, John Malkovich doing Burn This, Mm. the original production of Hurley Burley, you know, um, the original production of Orphans, you know, which, which was just this balls to the wall, slam down theater, you know what I mean? And I just was mm. like, and that was the theater that excited me. Mm. The small space, the mm. small theater, you know, where you suddenly, where the, it didn't just reach across and grab you, it just punched you in the chest. And I was like, that's what I want to do, man. I want to do that. And then when I went to England and I saw Shakespeare being done like that by the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National, I said, holy shit, you can do Shakespeare like that too? Where it punches you like that? You know, it's not just, it's not a um, ephemeral experience. You know, it's actually like, you're really into the, I was like, holy shit, this is great stuff. So I was just excited by the art form. You Mm -hmm. know, the fact of, that just making just making somebody feel somebody you know making them cry you know that's the you know the there's a saying i can't remember some some film director said it but i'm stealing it but it was mm. make them laugh make them cry scare the shit out of them you know that's a good show yeah. you know what i mean and but it's true though that you can experience all those emotions and the older you get the real you realize how cathartic that is as a yeah. young man it's cathartic but you don't know why You know what I mean? But when you get older, you realize, fuck, I need to cry more. Mm. You know what I mean? Or I I need to laugh more. Or, you know, I need some excitement in my life. I need to get get into a flow state, you know, which is like watching, honestly, watching a good movie on Netflix is flow. Playing Mm -hmm. on your phone is flow. And I think theater does that. You know what I'm saying? So it's Mm -hmm. it's just exciting. It was always exciting
0: to Uh me, you know? Absolutely. What were some of the uh, things in college specifically that when you were taking your classes... That you really that that excited you like individually like was it like the work table work was it like dissecting the script and putting in punctuation things like that like where did that excitement brew from
1: we had theater t- again remember we- i went to college two hours from manhattan mm-hmm. so as, as a as students not on some kind of planned trip we would sometimes just go to new york mm-hmm. and just see a show and get in a lot of freaking trouble you know what i mean and just you know Let's go buy some pot. You know, something like that, you know, really stupid stuff. But um, but in but in school, our school had this affiliation with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh. And and um the the uh the the dean, the dean, the chairman of the department, he he had this affiliation with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and they were in rep my senior year uh in New York doing much ado about nothing in Cyrano. And, and Derek Jacobi was doing Cyrano and Benedict and, um, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Sinead Cusack was doing Roxanne, you know, and Beatrice. And they came up to our school to do a staged reading of Christmas Carol to raise money for the school. And we got to hang out with them. And then we got to do what turned out to be the first staged profession, British pantomime because our because they brought it to our school and they helped us through it. So I just had, I was just, my blessing, the gift I was given without knowing I was getting this gift was I was constantly exposed to this great theater. I didn't learn, I learned a lot in my class. I did acting class. It was never mm-hmm. about technique and experience till I started doing uh, acting slash directing stuff, which I talked about that guy, Vivian Madelon, mm-hmm. but, um, I, uh, I was just seeing great theater and you can't unsee it. Do you know what I mean? When you, mm-hmm. when you finally see a scene done or you see an actor on stage, not talking on film, on stage and you see that and then you see a whole cast like that and then you see a bunch of shows like that throughout the year, you're like, this is how it's done you know? And mm-hmm. so that to me, I don't remember learning a lot in college, except being excited by the atmosphere and wanting to get to New York um, or Chicago and just work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was what it was. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So then how, so then how did your, your early professional careers get started?
1: It went great on paper and then it just went down the tubes. And then I, I met a woman, got got married and then she convinced me to support the family and, and I stopped acting. It, it, it was actually, I wouldn't have changed anything now that I look back on it. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, when I started, I left college with an agent in New mm-hmm. York. He came up to see me in a show and he said, I want to rep you. And he was, and he, and and it's a really funny story. He uh, sent me, so he, but he was a manager slash agent. A lot of managers were also agents so they could submit they weren't just managing you they could also submit mm. and he said i want you to take an acting class with one of my clients named sally kirkland and if you look back sally kirkland was this she had a big moment in the late 80s early 90s she was nominated for an oscar for a film she did and you know she was it came and gone came and gone mm-hmm. but you know she was but i went to her acting class and it was so fucking weird and so stupid that I walked out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, no, I mean she's she's on a she's on a god mic in a dance studio. First yeah. of all, I thought that was weird. I'm like, we can hear you, mm-hmm. you you know. And and it was just. And I remember I walked out, and my manager got really mad at me that I embarrassed him. But my career went really well in the beginning. I got I got a I got a show that were that went to that went off Broadway. So mm-hmm. I got my equity card because I got in a show that where they said, okay, we're taking this off Broadway. If you're not equity, you're gonna have to be equity. We need to join. So I got contract that way. Mm -hmm. So I got my card. I did a really good production of Coriolanus at the McCarter theater in Princeton. Mm -hmm. I was just a a spear carrier, but you know, but it was, but it was a great, great moment of being in the professional room. I was directed by Liviu Chule, the great Romanian director. who directed Kevin Klein and Hamlet? Uh, you oh, know the you public, go. you know that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I had all this great stuff, and then I, I uh, everything just slowed down for a while, and I realize now in retrospect, and, and then, here's where the change happened. So so started off great. Mm-hmm. I started taking acting classes um, to 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 uh, you know to to just keep honing my craft. A lot of act- good actors would just be in acting class if they weren't working. And yeah. I found a drop-in type style class I could take with Terry Schreiber. Um, he was a Broadway director. He directed K2 when mm-hmm. I was on Broadway. And, and I had a great time with his classes. And that's where I met this teacher, Vivian Manilon, who taught by directing. His mm-hmm. acting classes were just directing. He would just direct you in the scene. He would just make the scene better. Mm. He would just say he would teach you how to tell the story through the craft of acting. And then I realized I want to do that as much as I want to act. I want to shape a scene and make it really good.
0: Mm. Um,
1: And then somewhere in there, I got a part time job at a health club. I thought, oh, this is going to be a great job because I can have a free health club membership. Everyone's got to be in shape and I can work choose my hours and all this. I suddenly went from making 20,000 a year living in a hole in New York Mm. to making like 75,000 a year just because I was really good at sales. Mm. And then I had a producer at, with Time Warner tell me, and many times people have heard this, but there was a truth to it. She said, if you can do anything else well, or anything else and enjoy it, you should, because this life sucks.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, (laughs) if it's all you can do, great, do it, but it's a hard life, it'll be hard to make a living, you'll be on unemployment, you'll be waiting tables, and it's a long haul life. Mm. Another thing I I didn't know at the time, all the actors that were making it, whether they were less talented than me and a lot of them were, at least I felt so, um, but they were in it for the long haul. Mm they were like 10, 15, 20 years just plugging away and then they got their break. You know like that guy who was in the movie uh, in the movie uh, Sound of Metal, mm-hmm. the the deaf guy, you know, he's been he's been he's been in LA and on stages all his life for 40 years and suddenly now people know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. that's that's the game. And a lot of I have a lot of friends in New York still from my theater school who are like that. They're they're just working their ass off. They're not famous by any means, but it's what they do, and they're making a living. The union is their life, you know what I mean? And and I guess I decided that I want to do that, but I don't want to live that way. I I actually enjoyed this idea of making money. And never in a gauche way, just you know, I like the idea of supporting myself, having a nice apartment and Mm-hmm. being able to get a car you know and so it just so you know all these and again me going into another world mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah and then i, I got to yeah so anyway it, it goes man it's a long yeah. story i hope you got hope you got time
0: oh man we'll i mean i'm here for you so we can go <laughs> to the here. morning to i'm here work. for you <laughs> i got a, i got a cup of coffee that i brewed this morning so i'll make an ice cup it, a cup of ice coffee will be good uh so you get you meet someone you get married. Did you stay in New York? I'm. When did you get to Colorado? Is what I'm asking. So
1: we got. I was married to her for five years, mm. and I like to tell people she was the witch of my dreams. Mm. Um, you know, she was. Uh, it was. It was not a good. It was. It was great, but it was not good. Um, we ended up getting divorced. I'm really making a long story short. My my wife Lisa DiCaro says she was the rehearsal marriage. You know yes. what I mean? She mm-hmm. taught me how to fold towels, how to you know clean the sheets. You know, she taught me some basic life skills I need to be a husband.
0: Um, Wait, you know how to fold a fitted sheet?
1: Did I say I know how to fold a fitted sheet? I can fold a sheet.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I, yeah,
1: I know how to fold a fitted sheet you just put it together and you try to make it look nice and you put it in the thing. Yeah. Cause That's that
0: like, it. if you could do that, I was like, we are going to have a 10 minute conversation. Yeah, Life know. hacks with Len Mateo.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no, I got divorced and then I went through a real big depression after it. And, um, and I was very successful in this health club business. I was making really good money. And a consultant said, Hey, I know of a guy in Taos, New Mexico. Or he said Justin Taos, who has a health club uh, and he's looking for someone to run it. He lives in New York, but you want to meet him. And I thought he said Tahoe. I didn't know he said Taos. I'm like, I don't (laughs) know what Taos is. I've literally, I've I've never really been anywhere else in the country except the East Coast. So I go out to Taos. There's tumbleweed everywhere. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to live here. Mm -hmm. I come back and tell the guy I don't want to do it. And he offers me more money. I said I don't want to do it and then he offers me more money and then he says look what's the worst that can happen you don't like it you quit you go back to New York and I thought sage advice
0: very sage
1: so I left New York and moved to Taos a total fish out of water new adventure left it all behind um I a lot of my friends were like I can't believe you're doing this you're so brave it's so cool I'm like really I didn't but I guess in retrospect, it was kind of a radical move for city boy to move to Taos. I'd just taken up skiing and I really loved it. And so I started, you know, I I just lived, started this whole new lifestyle in Taos. And that's when I met my wife, Lisa, Caro, living in Taos. And um, and then, and I started doing theater again. And the beauty of doing theater in Taos, first of all, Taos, if you've ever been to Taos or Santa Fe, there's a lot of a lot of people there who live there, and I was one of them who were really wounded, and are taking mm. care of themselves. You know, mm. they're looking for something. Right. There's a saying in Taos, you know, the, the mountain either takes you in or it spits you out. You know what I mean? Like it's kind yeah. of one of those things. And and I definitely got taken in, but mm. I but I found the theater group there, and it was really good. And I mean, in retrospect, it was community theater, right? But it was really good. I mean. Our set designer was the set designer for Forrest Gump. You know what I mean. So, and he was a wounded guy from Hollywood living in Taos. You know what I mean. It's that yeah. that kind of group of people. And um, and I started doing theater, but for the first time, it was for me. I wasn't I wasn't trying to do it and saying who's going to come? Is there going to be an agent? You know, going to be there? You know, you always were trying to figure out how to sell, how to mm-hmm. sell, how to sell. And I was just doing theater because I wanted to do theater. And I had a great time and I was loving it. And then I met Lisa and then a total new adventure started teaching the lawyers. And that's a whole nother story. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was where I learned the principle of yes and and where I learned the principle of, and I mean in life, not just in like, like in improv as we all know, but I mean the principle of yes and in life and, and being unashamed of asking for help and not trying to go it alone. Mm. And those two principles that I figured out starting that business were have have propelled me into life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In in the best way possible. Of course, I had a partner with me the whole time, you know, to 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 create synergy, you know, our yeah. our, our definition of synergy is one plus one equals 10 you know and then and it really became that way we're we were known especially among the theater among the teaching world as the len and lisa show (laughs) because you really would rarely see us not teaching together
0: oh wow you know
1: the theater community doesn't know us like that that much but that's no not um, at all no i mean interestingly one of the biggest shows lisa and i did that hardly anyone saw was we did a production of speed the plow uh with modern muse and uh um uh and uh, it was me and Lisa and Eric Tisey and uh, Lee Macero directed it mm. and, uh, and it got great reviews. And, and uh, uh, you know, and, and um, so we used to always do stuff together. And uh, yeah, but, and then we moved to Evergreen and, you know, found and, and decided to make that our home and tried to make that, take that to a new level, that theater, mm. you know, from a community theater you know, to a little bit of a professional theater, you know? Yeah. Uh, professionals, uh, we, we tried to take it up a level. You know yeah. what I
0: mean? Definitely. And, uh, yeah. Did you, did you feel like that was something incumbent upon you when you got there? Or was it just like a natural progression of working with that theater?
1: Natural progression. We got in there. They were our community. We love them. We still love them. We know a lot of them. Some yeah. of the best people you'll ever want to meet run the Evergreen Players. Um, honestly, it's just yeah. a great group. I've had a good, and, good fortune and, um, to up there. And, uh, and um, we, interestingly, Brent, me and Brenda had, when we knew each other up there, we tried to get the Evergreen, we wanted to run the Evergreen Players, mm-hmm. you know, and make that kind of this theater that we took to a new level. And and they weren't interested in the sense of, they they liked the vibe they'd created. And and it's a great vibe, man. I mean, they they said, you know what, like John Davis and John and Kathleen they were like, yeah, we don't want to pay the actors more because then we have to pay everyone more. You can't pay the actors more than the tech people and you can't pay the, and I'm like, well, you can, mm-hmm. you know, it's like any job you can have someone make it. But, but it was just kind of, it was, I was trying to get more professional actors to come up the hill. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was trying to do all this stuff and then we realized that it, it wasn't going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but this isn't a... This, I, I hope no one reads this as a put-down uh, mm-hmm. of the players, because, again, they've done great work, but it, it wasn't the work I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, That makes sense. But, uh, what was the work that you did want to do?
1: I wanted to run my own theater, and I wanted to... I, I had, from everything I just told you about mm-hmm. seeing all that great theater, about doing theater, I have... And I a very st- strong vision of what I think great theater is mm. and what it looks like and how to make it. I kind of know how to make it, I think. You mm. know, I mean you know, we have our ups and downs, but I think we consistently make really great theater at Miners Alley. Yeah. And and I there's there's almost a formula to it. You know what I mean? But I, I know how to do it.
0: What's and that formula?
1: The formula is first of all, recognizing that theater is a writer's and an actor's medium. Mm. So as a director, you got to get the fuck out of the way, um, and let that. And so you got to pick great scripts. It's about the script, and the actors are the primary tool of telling the story of that mm-hmm. script. Unlike film, where the director is the primary tool of telling a lot of that story.
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean? And and so the, so a you need to pick great scripts, and you need to pick a great director because the director will then pick the great actors cast them to do to tell the great stories and the great director needs to know how to herald needs to know how to take that ship from point a to point z and tell that story and the other thing I always knew and this is from working with a lot of great actors one of the and you know this as well as I do some of the greatest actors you' work with are some of the most egotistical crazy ass people you're ever going to meet
0: Whoa, right? whoa! 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 No, wait! Yeah, no. What keep, I'm going, keep going. Keep going. Keep <laughs> going.
1: What I'm saying is, and I am look, I'm not. I'm not it's egotistical of me to say that, right? But my point is, but but my point is, that's why they're such fucking great actors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They just put everything into it. But I realize that it's all about the audience. You know what I mean? We are essentially in the entertainment business. And I wanna do it with the scripts I like and all that, but it's all about the audience having a theater experience. Mm-hmm. And a lot of theater makers are making theater for themselves or they're making theater for their group. And by the way, that's cool. Do your art, man. And the great art comes out of that, yeah. you know? But my, what I wanted to do was to affect a lot of people with theater the way I was affected. When I told you about me going to shows and just yeah. having that punch. And I just be like, I want everyone to freaking feel that. Mm. You know what I mean? I want everyone to have that experience and know what it's like mm-hmm. to walk into a theater and have that experience. And sometimes it changes you, sometimes it doesn't, but that to me was the art and
0: yeah. that
1: was the formula. And by the way, it's why I'm so attracted to small venues, yeah. You know, because it's much harder to do in a proscenium, right? Mm-hmm. Um, A big, a big house. Um, But that to me is the, is the real kind of formula. Is, 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 is is letting, is is shaping the way the actors tell the story, the way the playwright meant the story to be told. Does that make sense?
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: That to me is the key. So there's a real kind of art of, it feels like conducting, emotional conducting. Meaning, Ah. like you're, like you're, like as a director, you're you're watching the scene and you see the and you want the audience to go from here to to really sad to now I'm a little afraid to oh my god what's going to happen in the scene blackout intermission shit you know what you want to drive them there and the good script it'll be there Mm -hmm. but you as a director have to know that's what you're doing as opposed to saying actors you guys figure it out. Yeah. They're going to do a great damn job acting. You know what I mean? But yeah. sometimes you need the shaping. And you, well, honestly, you need the collaboration. You need to you need you need that synergy, like I told you about with me and Lisa, yeah, yeah. where you're the actor is bringing stuff. I'm bringing stuff. The other actors bringing stuff. You know, maybe even the set designers bringing stuff. You know what I mean? And suddenly that scene becomes so much bigger than it could ever be if it was just two actors.
0: Absolutely. You know?
1: Yeah. And that's and, and But with that leadership at the helm to make sure that that playwright's story is being told.
0: Mm.
1: You know what I mean? Because again, it's the writer's medium, mm-hmm. you know? Totally.
0: To me, anyway. No, I, 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 I love what you're that, saying. That was a there. tangent, but you know. No, 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 that's exactly where I was hoping that, that yeah. portion of the conversation would go. You talked about a director letting go and getting, or rather getting out of the way of the, the actors and the playwright. How mm. does that look to you?
1: To me it's, here's how I approach a scene. Here's how Mm -hmm. I approach working on a scene and this is how it looks. I have an exact idea usually, usually, not all the time but most of the time of how that scene's gonna play. Mm -hmm. Cause I've literally, as good directors do I play every part in my head. I've played every part, I know every part I've scored every part as if I was acting every part. And I have an idea of how that scene is supposed to look and how I want the audience to feel and then i start making the blocking work to that end meaning that the blocking is also dro- that the acting is driving the blocking the blocking is driving the acting but then i let the actors figure it out
0: okay
1: and if they and, and if they can't we do that with table work
0: yeah. we
1: do that with blocking and working but and if they can't i have an answer but i want them to find the answer mm. themselves and the beauty is 25% of the time, which is a lot, they have a better answer than I had. Ah. But the point is, I had an answer going in. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. But, but they had a, but so, so the collaboration. So So I've been told, I've actually asked select people who I knew would tell me the truth. I said, what's my reputation as a director
0: mm-hmm.
1: in town? And they said, well, people say you're an actor's director. And I said, meaning I can speak the language of actors and I let them work. I let them figure stuff out.
0: Yeah.
1: I let them find the stuff as opposed to, no, do it this way. No, do it this way. If yeah. they're really going to do it their way and they can't understand my way, I say, A, maybe my way's wrong. Mm. Or B, maybe I got to figure out how to make their way work.
0: Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Because yeah. I cast them. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not, you know, I want to... I want to make this work
0: um, As- aside from acknowledging that theater is a an actor's medium and a writer and a, actors and writers medium what inside you helps steer you away from being a spoon feeding director
1: well unfortunately i think i sometimes am a spoon feeding director and yeah. i i i I don't I, I hope I'm not I try I make a real effort not to be so maybe I'm good at that not doing it but unfortunately I think I have a habit of, I, I I can go there very easily okay. meaning because as I said I have the answer in my head I know what I'm looking for you mm. know what I mean and I sometimes have to go stop look at what you're seeing and see how that feels be an audience member is that working actually, that might work a little better than what I was thinking. You know, maybe maybe there's something I'm missing in this scene. Let's explore that a little bit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, so sometimes I have to get out of my own way. Mm-hmm. But your question was, what stops me from being it?
0: Or like, where in your experience as an a- actor beforehand, because I'm assuming that's where it came from, did you cultivate this idea of how you were going to direct?
1: Oh, I can tell you exactly. I, I think I'm a good actor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a great actor. I'm a good actor. I'm competent. I get the scene. I'm a, I think I'm a good scene partner. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I'm a yeah. good actor. Yeah. But I'm in my head too much. It's, mm. it's, my, it's my curse. I'm in my head too much. Um, maybe now that I've been meditating for three years every day, maybe I won't be in my head as much. I don't know. Maybe it'll be worse. I have no idea. Yeah. But I, um, But I always knew how the scene should go. Now directing myself in my head, it's the worst goddamn thing in the world in so many ways. I mean, you got to on some level, you gotta in your mind, in your imagination, make a choice and figure it out. I get it. It's not, it's not like it's, you can't not do anything, mm. but at the same time, it was getting in my way, but it was also my strength that I had a very strong visual a vision of what this scene should sound like and look like. Yeah. Now I might not have been executing it as well as, a direct, as an actor, But I I had it so that's what made me want to direct more because I knew, well I'm a really good teacher I knew because I've been doing that professionally. I said maybe if I can just teach people the vision I have in my head, I think the show is going to be great because, here's my ego I I know I know what this show fucking should be.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And I I said so but now if I can somehow communicate that vision to the audience and the actors, you know I'm going to do it. So
0: you know. Very That's, cool. Yeah,
1: you know.
0: Owning a theater in Golden, what Jeez. were some of the challenges you faced? Providing, like, selecting programming, I guess. Like, well, you wanted to you wanted to set your own palette, but I'm wondering if there was pushback from the community ever. Interestingly,
1: there was pushback from Brenda when we started. Okay. Um, and to her credit, I mean, Brenda, Brenda would say. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that play yet. I don't know if this audience is ready for that. You know, mm-hmm. Brenda was more level headed. I, I I wanted to immediately like when we did here, HIR here, mm-hmm. back in 1617, whatever it was. Um, I guess it was 16. Um, That was a big deal. You know what I mean to do that kind of show. But but you know, it was it was scary for Brenda. It was scary for me too. But it was really scary for her. Mm. Um, but I, I've always had this belief, and I've been wrong in the past, which is my own judgment. But this belief that if the script is good enough, that it'll transcend all that stuff. Okay. Like for instance, when we did Fun Home. Yeah. There's a epic story that many people in the theater community know where we did a preview uh, for a group, The Lions Club, which mm-hmm. by the way, is a great group, meaning they're just, they do so much in the community of Golden. It makes so many people's lives better. I just mm-hmm. want to throw that out there. It's total culture clash. okay? Mm-hmm. We did a preview for this group and the whole idea, the story of Fun Home, you know, of two girls, young girls falling in love just, they couldn't take it. A bunch of them just walked out during the preview. And then the Lion Club, to, the, to their credit, sent us a, notes and flowers saying, mm-hmm. we're really sorry for some of our members being, you know, we we don't, we, we you know, although we may not, some of us may not have liked the show that was just bad behavior. You don't act like, they were just, they were really, but but we, but, you know, there was a real culture clash there. And of course that show was one of our most Lauded shows that we did, but I think I can tell you this: I want to put on really good scripts. I don't have an agenda, even though I'm wearing a shirt with my political values on it. I I don't have an agenda of trying to, you know, make the world more diverse, make it a better place. But I do want to do really good scripts that make people think, and a lot of times those scripts. Or about all those things. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so when I pick something, I want to pick a script that has that punch. And those scripts are the scripts that are ballsy. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. And occasionally you come across a Neil Simon or a um, um, uh, what's his what's his name? Uh, uh, his name's the guy who wrote um, uh, "Lend Me a Tenor." Um, Ludwig. Luke, Ken Ludwig. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who just are such good writers that they just write comedy and it, it's just so well done it's so funny the setups the jokes the story everything the characters it's so beautiful right yeah and you can get shows like that and they're great but at the same time you know you you most of the time the great scripts are examining things that make us either a little uncomfortable But at the same time excite us. You know all this. I mean you know but we we had a saying in Evergreen which is where the saying came from but we did it a little bit in Golden. Um, If we were doing four shows in the season we would do three for them and one for us. Mm -hmm. That's how we'd do it. Mine was more like um, one or two for them and and three for us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But and when I say for us I meant I still it was always about the audience. Yeah. But like if I did a Neil Simon I said a great script you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's also for them as well. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for the community of Golden. I mean, the people here have supported us. They came out in droves to support us when we were suffering during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always there for us before the pandemic, by the way, it's not just suddenly I realized this. Yeah. Um, And our audience, by the way, is, is like 65% Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Golden, it's Lakewood, it's Wheat Ridge, it's you know Jefferson County, and then 25% Denver. And then and then the smaller percentages are in Arapaho and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, so yeah, so so um, so it's not just golden, it's mm-hmm. really this kind of suburban West, but also like People, any, we want theater for anybody. You know, Fun Home, interestingly, from a producer's perspective, it lost money. Okay. It was one of our most successful shows attendance-wise, but it lost money because it was so expensive to produce. But I think at the time we figured out, we brought 1,500 new people came into our theater. Wow. From that show. And of those 1,500, I think we figured out that 100 of them became subscribers. You know what I mean? That's, that's, and, you know, so they were coming from, way outside of golden mm-hmm. and hopefully we, we want to you know i'm kind of transitioning here a little bit but we want to do we want to create that on a bigger scale in golden right now we're in talks with the city about the possibility of building a bigger performing arts center oh wow in golden you know uh something like the Arvada center or you know in that of that of that caliber and um and it's serious discussions nothing's in stone by any means but it's serious mm-hmm discussions you know and the Mm -hmm. and but because we want to just take what we've done in a small in that smaller space and just make it bigger yeah you know and affect more people give more people that theater experience they so need and if they don't need it they they will find out soon enough right yeah
0: that's a it's 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 amazing it's a it's a ghost light scoop here i i didn't know anything like that was in the works out there in golden but Mm -hmm. that's fantastic congratulations i hope i hope that this uh becomes a reality beyond just these I think there's
1: a this the the citizens of Golden have spoken and said they want cultural and more they want more cultural they want an arts and cultural center mm-hmm. and they want that and the city's already bought the property to do it and there's it's just what does it look like mm-hmm. how can everybody be happy <clears throat> I think the performing arts is a good chance will be a big part of it but even if it's a small part of it it's a part of it yeah. you know what I mean and uh uh yeah yeah it's uh you know it's it's a it's it's uh it's going
0: to be very cool yeah yeah I have, a, I have a question you brought up a couple of playwrights neil simon ken ludwig um that they've, they've been around forever and, and the quality of the material i think you really it, it's hard to question in terms of like is it good or bad it, it's good it's withstood the test of time for a long time but do you do you see do you see a place for them as in a traditional casting world, for, for some of them? Yeah, or, I do. Or,
1: but I, I think you have to go non traditional. You just have mm. to do it. You know what I mean? You have to mm-hmm. cast Oscar and the hot couple as a as a as a person of color. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why not?
0: Okay. You know
1: what I mean? Unless it's literally in the script where he talks about you know the 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 if it's if it's it's, if it's an integral part. Of the script that you mm-hmm. don't want to change because the play is somehow about race or you know something like that. That's different, I guess. But I think anything can be that way. And honestly, when we talk about diversity, say at Miners Alley, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's pretty, you know, we have a pretty white audience, and it's and it's an older white audience. Not what, not it's been more diverse over the last three years, I can tell you that. But yeah. But overall, it's still majority is is what I just said. Mm-hmm. But so, so what we've tried to do, if you look back over the last three years, is present plays where we have diverse casts as much as possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so like, I um, you mean, your
0: Posner play, the, um, uh, a Aaron
1: Posner play, uh, Fairfield. Yeah. Um, we were gonna do. Um, We were going to do uh, Once on This Island in 2020, and that had nine people of color in that cast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Our current uh, season, right now, John Moore's play has um, an Asian actor, a uh, uh, a Black actress, um, uh, a woman, and a man, right? Mm -hmm. Of the four people. Yeah. Um, We, you know, it's. I think I think sometimes I, I like to take 2021, the 2021 season as an aberration, because mm-hmm. we've been going more and more for diversity. But what happened in 20 when we were going to do complete works, which never got done because we we just couldn't get the cast in time, the timelines weren't working with actors equity. Mm-hmm. So we postponed it. But we in that we were gonna have a person of color, a woman. We're gonna, we I mean we it's 2021 was designed around the pandemic. Yeah. Meaning our first show had two people. Our next show has four people. Yeah. Our next show after that has five people. Mm-hmm. And then we have 12 people. Yeah. And they were all local playwrights. So we wouldn't, you know, go broke paying all these rights, you know, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So... um so I, 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 th- I don't want the greater theater community to judge us by our 2021 season. Uh, but even though I think it's gonna be relatively diverse, honestly,
0: you know. It sounds like you're, there's an effort being made there. Absolutely. Oh my
1: God, oh my God, yes. I, I, I don't believe in traditional casting. I, I want the best actor in the room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's where it gets sticky. Do you, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I want to open this can of worms, but you know, where you where you where you know you might wanna go diverse, but the best actor in the room wasn't that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know it wasn't BIPOC. Wasn't B I P O C, right? So I mean, I, you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a tough, tough role. Um, you know, we're getting through it. Honestly, I think. I think the theater sometimes deserves a little more credit. I know in our industry, we are sometimes, we're looking saying, hey, we need to be more diverse, be more diverse. And yes, we do, we do, we do, you know, we we can't stop beating that drum. But I think you also have to look at the rest of the world and realize that we've always been theater,
0: Mm -hmm. has
1: been more on the cutting edge of this than other groups. Are there too many older white guys as artistic and executive directors running theaters? Mm -hmm. You fucking bet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but that's changing, you know, and, and much more, I think, than other professions, you know, but Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about that too. But from what I know, from what I hear, it's changing, but you know, the world's changing, it's changing right in front of our eyes, you know, all Mm -hmm. this stuff.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's good to hear, to hear that it's your focus. I mean, as a hearing a, a white, artistic director of a theater company make make those claims i mean that's i think that's it's crucial
1: yeah I, it's proud and loud man i mean we we want to we want as many diverse people coming out for our shows as possible mm-hmm. as yeah. possible
0: Yeah, and i, I would say that just to your point in regards to like it becoming a sticky situation when you want the best person for the job and that person happens to be white i mean it's only sticky because for generations we painted ourselves into this corner. Fuck Yeah. Yeah. So now it's, now it's almost, excuse me, almost incumbent upon us to kind of tilt the scales in another direction before we can actually look at a meritocracy again.
1: You know what, Sam, I agree Mm. with you. I, it's hard to do, especially when you, um, It's hard to do as an artist. It's, um, it's almost, it's easier for me to do as a producer.
0: Mm.
1: It's harder to do as an artist. And I'll tell you why. when I say an artist, I mean like if, as an artist, from a director's point of view, you want to cast the best person in the room. Mm-hmm. The person that creates that power, that synergy, that relationship, that chemistry, Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, like you know, our production of Frankie and Johnny, right? You know that was that was pretty much the kind of cast that was in the original production.
0: Yeah. But
1: that a year before or two years before, they had done it um, with um, Michael Shannon and um, I can't remember the woman's name, a black actress. Um,
0: Audra 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 McDonald. McDonald. Yeah,
1: Audra McDonald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Amazing actress. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it can be done. Yeah. You know, but you got to remember too, we're a very small community. You know, we're not, it's not like New York where I can have just, or Chicago Mm. or Miami, you know, or I can just have the pick of the litter of every actor that I want of every race, creed, and color. They're all amazing.
0: Mm. It's not like that out here. Do you feel that the net can be cast wider if different pieces, different voices are accentuated. Like if you shifted, I mean, and I'm not necessarily like, I don't want this to sound like, hey Len, I'm gonna put the onus on you to change theater for the better. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But it's like, do you feel like the net we could see more BIPOC actors become available if we're picking BIPOC scripts? Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean there's there's a bunch of BIPOC scripts that I actually want to do. In 2022 it's but, amazing it's great but again this is where this is where me being in this role might might not be as good as having a BIPOC person in this role my role is artistic director picking the possibly scripts. Yeah. I read a lot I and I, I'm paying attention to what's going on mm-hmm. but you know I need to like the script you know what I mean for absolutely. me absolutely you know what I'm saying I mean I um and then and as i said it has to be the theater, the kind of theater that we want to do that great storytelling i'm not nervous I, honestly i'm not nervous about offending anybody mm-hmm. i'm not honestly you know i'm gonna we're gonna do high quality great art mm-hmm. i'm not just gonna have somebody on stage cursing or being naked or saying controversial stuff for the sake of being controversial i'm not you know we're not doing yeah. that so yeah. i'm not worried about the work does that make yeah. sense Oh, yeah. I'm more wor- I I just want to find those great scripts. Mm-hmm. You know, Fairfield was a great script. Uh yeah. by a white guy, but still, you know what I mean? It was a great mm-hmm. script. Um Dominique Morisot, you know, is an amazing playwright, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd love to do some of her work. You know what I'm saying? Uh yeah. so there's just there's great scripts out there, but
0: yeah. Well, and and I think we I mean and and all we'll I won't belabor the subject too much, but I think you no, also, it's good looked, to talk about it. yeah, but you, but you also, but you, you hit on a, You hit on something that I think is, which I think is going to be indicative of a lot of theaters at this particular time is just like, we are going to, we are going to adjust our programming because we're coming out of the pandemic. We're starting with smaller casts. We're going to go with people that are probably available and non-equity, you know, or if, it, if we do have an equity contract, we can shove that in there or whatever and then work our way back up and once we've got our our full breadth of options back and available to us in 2022 which is what fingers crossed we're hoping for expecting maybe i, expect, then,
1: I, yeah. I can't not expect it you gotta, you yeah. gotta look to the best deal with shit as it comes down the pike
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's i'm so thankful for you going down the road with me you showed i mean i'm I'm really touched that you would, that you'd be shared, share so much that you have shared with me today. Oh, dude. And
1: I, I have a, I'm an open book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can be guarded sometimes, sure. But, you know, I'm, but I, 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 cause I really don't, my, my, my fear in all of this, especially when we talk about diversity, mm-hmm. is being misunderstood. Yeah. Is, and it's, 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 I'm not angry about it. You know what I learned? I've, I've done a lot of my own, homework on on all, all of this mm-hmm. how to say it whether it's diversity whether it's Black Lives Matter whether it's I mean I've gotten my house egged because of Black Lives Matter sign out in front of my house <laughs> I've gotten um, my daughter is LGBTQ mm-hmm. you know and we've seen a lot of crap with that so I'm I'm out there on it and the one thing I learned the biggest lesson I learned and I give this to any white guy out there Mm-hmm. who's who's who especially an older white guy like me who is um
0: listen up white people
1: seriously but who's <laughs> but who's who's hearing who's hearing who's hearing loud voices saying things need to change there's certain things wrong why aren't you listening don't fucking take it personally mm. it's not about you okay it's not personal It's this is the message that these that that this specific group of people is upset about. And they're trying to tell you what it is. If you have nothing to do Mm. with it, you don't have to fucking ingest it and just suddenly it's no one's calling you a racist. You know what I mean? Mm. Listen to what they're saying. You know what I mean? And just and and don't get so upset and personal about it. Try to find out what what is what the problem is and be part of the solution.
0: Yeah, exactly. Listen to what they're saying. And yeah, then actively and don't take it personally. Everyone gets so solution. personal.
1: Wait, are they saying I'm racist? What? Y'all yeah, not? You know what? Fuck this shit. I'm so mm-hmm. offended. You know, I can't even walk yeah. down the street anymore. Yeah. It's just like just don't take a chill pill. Don't take it so personally. Yeah. It's not about of... you. Yeah. It's about some people have had a really fucked up time for for set for 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 generation upon generation yeah. upon generation. Yeah. And 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 things need to change, mm-hmm. and this is what's happening. Yeah.
0: You and know? the only reason why they're taking it personally, is because they acknowledge at some level that they have been a part of the problem.
1: Yeah, I've taken it personally before, yeah. and then I have yeah. realized, well, I didn't. I, you know, first of all,
0: what am I, I doing? Know I'm a good
1: person. I know mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. So I say to myself, okay, hear the criticism. Listen. Move forward. And yeah. I say, move forward, not forget. I mean, move forward. Yeah. You know, advance, mm-hmm. make progress. See where, see, where you can pick best up. Do the best you
0: can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Len, as we get to this stage in the podcast, yeah. I ask, what is that ghost light you'd leave on for the next generation? What's the thing that you'd tell the next group of artists coming up?
1: The sagest piece of advice that I have received and that I try to live by. Mm-hmm in so much of what I do is is to become the most interested person in the room not the most interesting mm. and that's that's a tough philosophy especially for actors and some and on some places I want actors to try to be the most interesting person in the room because <laughs> they because it's part of the craft for
0: mm-hmm, god's mm-hmm, sake what
1: we mm-hmm. what they do you know what i mean but what's going to get you far in anything you do is to become more interested and stop worrying about being interesting to other people yeah and just listen 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 you know the seven habits of highly effective people habit five says um uh, listen uh uh don't listen with the intent to reply. You know, ah. you're listening with seek first to understand, then to be understood.
0: Nice. Right? Yeah.
1: That's 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 a mindset. That's how you look at the world. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I listen to you tell me about, you know, listening to BIPOC voices. I'm not sitting there going, you know, oh, okay, well, clearly he doesn't understand me and all the work I've done for this. You know, you should understand. I'm not taking it personally. Right. All that stuff. Yeah. I just want to hear what I can do and what I can do better and have the conversation and try to make it better. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm.
1: So that's my advice is, is to, is to really be a good listener. And also we have a limited amount of time on this earth um, what is it from uh, Hamilton where the, the words are why does he write like he's running out of time you know what I mean mm-hmm. You know, like, or why does he work like he's running out of time I think is the, word, the words in the song yeah. but you know we are running out of time yeah. you know? But so you know you just gotta so don't take it for granted
0: beautiful yeah. uh, Len thank you so much for joining us for episodes of this podcast thank has you been... and Sam thank you for
1: yeah. doing what you're doing uh, I look forward to listening as much as, as as soon as you put one out, I'm going to listen to it. So that's what I'm looking forward to, man.
0: That is is great advice to some of my ghosties out there. Subscribe today. Yeah. Tell your friends.
1: This is how the podcasting thing works, by the way. Subscribe.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, and then post a review and then, and then things can really start happening for Mm -hmm. this podcast. So that's what you got to do.
0: Give me some five-star likes. Tell your friends ladies and gentlemen, do it
1: especially on iTunes. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. They still, they still hold a lot of sway. The numbers, the numbers on my Podbean um, website do support iTunes is my number one contributor to our downloads. Anyway, enough about the business of the podcast. Thank you again, Len. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you, Tim. It was a very honest and real conversation. And, and I, and I learned some things. I hope, I hope you had a great time. And with that, Dan, do the damn thing. Sam. That was great. Oh, Len, that was amazing. Thank you so much. That was a great pod. I, did you have a good time? Okay. Yeah, I realize how much I love talking about this. It's
1: great. Um,
0: that's why I started the pod. I wanted to I wanted to hear my own voice.